It's great to continue our series moving from the familiar to fascinated to really looking at at the Great Commission and uh, the kind of Pentecost moment and how these things inspire us and and figure out how we're going to um, <clears throat> do church together and represent God's kingdom together. So last Sunday was Pentecost and Al talked us through this explosive moment which empowered the disciples, propelling them outwards and birthing the church, ushering in a new reality of a spirit-filled, empowered people who both carry and embody the good news. Uh, and so when we read the Great Commission <clears throat> in, Genesis, in Matthew 28 and Acts 1, it tells us um, of Jesus' instructions um, to go. And so first of all, in Matthew 28, um, it says this from verse 18. Then Jesus came and said... Um, to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then read a little bit more about um, this commission in Acts chapter one when the disciples are kind of going, is this the time, Jesus, where you're going to restore um, the kingdom? And Jesus said, look, you don't need to worry about that, but I tell you what, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And so I suppose in a way what I'm going to look at today is what does it look like for us to see the kingdom come in our Jerusalem, um, our immediate area? the citywide area um, of Craig Avon. <clears throat> so uh, we should see what happens at the start of the church um, as being a continuation of the ways of Jesus, his teaching and the pra practical outworking of his faith. Because the disciples, all they knew was what Jesus had shown them. And so all they replicated, again, is what Jesus had shown them. And actually, more than that, that the spirit of, of, of Jesus himself was still with them and in them through the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, as we've seen there at the end of this verse, is that I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And so he is with them in the person of the Holy Spirit. So the Pentecost moment, as we've said before, is not just God with us. It is God in us. Jesus is still their rabbi. Jesus is still their teacher. They are still disciples. They are patterning their lives after him. But what they do is to start replicating what they know in the lives of the people who become the church. And this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about the church. He says, the church is not a religious community of worshipers of Christ, but is Christ himself who has taken form among people. We are the body of Christ, more than just worshiping Christ, which we do do. We embody him, and he lives out through us, and the church is an expression of that. And so the 12 apostles would have continued the rabbinic tradition to copy the words and actions of their rabbi as a vital expression of their ongoing discipleship. But this new reality... As, we, as I'll talk to you, us about last week, it suddenly has not 12, not 120, but 3,000 people. What on earth do you do then? 
So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to sort of primarily stay in these verses. So Acts chapter 2, from verse 37. And Acts is, is fundamentally a journey through the early church, starting with Jesus and his resurrection and continuing on as the Spirit works through the early church. And so Al talked about this last week. He talked about the, the Spirit coming. He talked about Peter preaching the good news. Uh, and then um, after Peter has preached, we read these verses. When the people heard this, about the story about Jesus and what he had done, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom call in the name of the Lord. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I mean, like, that sounds great, but as a church leader, that's a very serious problem, isn't it? What on earth are we going to do with 3,000 people? And if you've been used to being part of 12, it's very difficult. How do, how do we scale this up? And so here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily <clears throat> those who were being saved. So, fundamentally, here's what they do. They break bread together. They pray they do signs and wonders. They invite everyone into a community which has a common way of life to care and support each other. Their community has a value system, and the value system identifies needs, practical and spiritual, and addresses them. And so we see practically in this passage that this looked like sometimes like them selling their possessions. But this should not come as a surprise to us because what happened at Pentecost is the birth of a new kingdom family. A community with a common person and an, sorry, a common purpose and an abundance of love, and it is fundamentally a replication of everything that Jesus had spent um, showing them over three and a half years. It's it's very very simple when it comes down to it, and what we see then as we go on through Acts in Acts chapter four. Um, this is not on the screen, by the way. It says God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, and there was no needy amongst amongst them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money 
from the seals and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed um, as to had need. And then down in Acts chapter 6, where the church is continuing to grow, we actually read that the church had got so big that the apostles are like, we're spending all our time trying to do the really important thing of caring for people who need help, but we need help to be able to do this so that we can focus on, on prayer and teaching. And so they appoint um, people like Stephen, people full of the spirit and wisdom, this is actually an interesting thing. The criteria for helping people, for feeding the poor, is people who have, um, who are filled with the spirit and filled with wisdom. It is an equally spiritual activity to help those in need. And so this is the normal pattern of church life. Um, and uh, apologies again for using my favorite quote, but here we go. Um, this is what Martin Luther King says. Any religion that professes concern for the souls of men and is not equally concerned about the slums that damn them, the economic conditions that strangle them, and the social conditions that cripple them is a spiritually moribund religion, only waiting for the day to be buried. A religion that ends with the individual ends. And so you see, it's a natural expression of the church as it's birthed, as it has 3,000 people suddenly in it, that the needs and cares of those that are struggling would be considered and addressed by the body because it is a body, it is a family, it is a community. And this is what happens when we encounter Jesus. But when we encounter Jesus and we receive salvation, something also changes in us where our wants and our loves get reordered in the experience of encounter with him. Jesus talked about this in the parables when he said that um, the kingdom of God is like treasure in a field, that somebody finds it and they sell everything that they have to gain this treasure because of its, it's of infinite worth. Or the kingdom of God is, is like a pearl merchant searching for fine pearls. And he sells everything that he has to buy this one perfect fine pearl because a pearl merchant knows what he's looking for. And when he sees something of infinite worth, he sells everything and gives up for that. And by the way, what did the pearl merchant have after that experience? A pearl. Yeah, what was he going to do with that? It's not going to put dinner on the table. Um, do you see how ridiculous that story is? Maybe you've never thought about it before. How did the pearl merchant eat? Uh, where did he live? What did he do? Because all he had was a pearl at the end of the story. He had nothing else. It's crazy. It's extravagant. It doesn't make any sense. But the kingdom of God doesn't make any sense either. That Jesus would give up his life for us so that we might experience the fullness of life. But we have to give up our lives and all our wants and all our loves in order to step fully into the kingdom too. And so it doesn't always make sense that people would sell their possessions and give to one another. Except if they have experienced something that is worth more than everything they, they knew before that point. You see, the currency of the kingdom, of the kingdom community is love. And when you experience the value of that, all other currencies get devalued. All other loves get reordered. All other f affections grow dimmer. And so when we read this, we see something of an upside down kingdom. 
and something which is a particular challenge to our society at the moment, which has um, placed its hope with faith and trust in consumerism and materialism and economic growth. And guess what? It's all falling apart. I could use another word, but that would be swearing. Um, so this, this passage in Acts chapter 2 from 42 to 46, this picture of the early church where everybody had everything in common and gave to each other as had need. Some people are stupid enough to read that passage and believe it and try and live it out. So these verses mean a lot to Debbie and I because when we were 25 years old, a long time ago, and it wasn't in a galaxy far away just before you're wondering, um, we were just married a few years and we had um, friends, a married couple, and she was in a wheelchair. And she was struggling to look after her four-year-old and her newborn baby. In fact, she couldn't hold the baby um, and uh, was afraid of dropping it because she had no power in her hands. And so they had no family support. And so we read these verses and we thought, well, you know, let's give this whole Christian community a, a go. You guys need support. We're, we have time on our hands. We don't have any kids. And so we committed to living in community, in a community house for two years to help this family through a difficult time in their lives. We decided to share a house, share our resources, help them practically and spiritually. And we love, because we love them and we wanted to help. And one of the interesting things that happened as we did that, was our Christian friends' horror at some of the things that we gave up. We gave up our nicely, newly decorated house, our first house that we had got as a married couple. We gave up our space. We allowed our new furniture to be jumped upon and worn out. Some of our wedding gifts got smashed. We gave up a lot of our free time, and this was an abomination to all our newly married friends. Why would you do that? But when you encounter the love of Jesus, I mean, he changes your heart. You find that the things that you once thought were treasures don't have very much value at all, and other things raise up. And we gain so much more being guided by the Spirit breaking bread together in our homes, giving to one another as had need. We started to do the Acts 2 thing. And there's a lot longer version of that story for another time. And I can tell you that it was the most amazing and the most difficult time uh, of our lives. But we, we caught a glimpse of the kingdom community that was powerful. It was painful. It was stretching and exciting. But it was also disarming to the things that the world strives after, the great gods of this age, which call us relentlessly towards materialism and consumerism. See, we're sold individualism as a virtue, and we've been blinded to the power of the everyday working out of the kingdom and its value, which can only be measured in the currency of love, not in possessions and stuff. Interestingly, in a groundbreaking book written a number of years ago by an economist, he wrote a book called Happiness, Lessons from a New Science. And a guy called Richard Laird states that there is a paradox at the heart of our loves. Most people want more income and strive for it. Yet as Western societies have gotten richer, their people have become no happier. People are no happier um, now than they were 50 years ago, and yet their average income has doubled. You can't get what God gives. 
by creating monetary value and worth. And this is what he says in the end. He says that research points to the need for society to pursue the common good and that the law of love should prevail. So an economist who isn't a Christian looks at the economy, looks at, at, at the way that our society lives, and he says, do you know what? If you truly want to be happy, pursue the common good. Not just your own good, but the good of others. And that the way that this is going to work, never mind the laws of economics, there's a law of love at work, which is greater than that. Um, uh, Tear Fund's uh, Ruth Valerio discusses this theme in, in her book, uh, Family and, and Community in an Age of uh, Consumerism. And she presents a clear mandate from disconnecting from the endless consumeristic lifestyle and reconnecting with the community as a missional expression of the heart of Jesus. And so in the middle of an ongoing um, health, financial, mental health crisis, I hope that we can be inspired and our imaginations can be awakened to the solutions that could bring help and healing to our Jerusalem, to our local community but whose DNA is from the kingdom and whose author is the king of kings. And this is a call, first of all, to this room, that we might do this more and more with and to each other, that we would live out this Christ-centered community in a way which will see the kingdom come. And the problem with Acts chapter 2 is that we, we sometimes try to kind of go, oh, yeah, well, it was just for this one wee period of time. You know, everybody sold their stuff and gave to another has, has had need. Uh, and, and yes and no. Yes and no. I think that, that there was a unique time and period where maybe some more of that stuff happened. But throughout the Gospels, uh, or, sorry, throughout the Acts and, and throughout the rest of Paul's letters, we see that sacrificial living and giving and caring of one another is something that continues all of the time. We see in the New Testament, radical loving community, a lifestyle of devotion, witness to the good news of salvation, signs and wonders, and ultimately, because of a lot of this, persecution. John Stott said about the church, that the church is a multicultural, multiracial community. It's like a beautiful tapestry. Its members come from a wide range of colorful backgrounds. No other human community resembles it. Its diversity and harmony are unique. It's God's new society. And the many-colored fellowship of the church is a reflection of the many-colored wisdom of God. That's how important this thing is that we call the church. And our society needs a radical, loving community right now. See, we live in a society, as you know, where all the support mechanisms are breaking down. Our welfare state is on its knees. Many people are struggling with basic survival in life. This is what the Institute of Physical Studies says about that. Inequalities in pay and opportunity in the UK are becoming so extreme that a report from the Institute of Physical Studies stated that they were threatening democracy. It warns of runaway incomes for high earners, but rises in deaths of despair, such as from addiction and suicide amongst the poorest. Deaths of despair. That's how bad it's got out there in the world. And if we're going to be the church in this age, we've got to figure out how we answer that problem, how we deal with that issue. 
And um, here's a slightly politicized statement, but, but I think it's really important. Um, this is from a guy called Darren McGarvey. He wrote a book called Poverty Safari. He wrote another book called um, Social Distance Between Us. I've read them both, and they're brilliant. He's not a Christian. He's definitely not a Christian. Um, but he said what successive conservative administrations have done, where social policy is concerned, it's demonstrate consistently and irrefutably that they misunderstand Britain's lower orders, orders so dangerously that where there are countless opportunities to bring hope, they have in this instead brought wave after wave of despair, dysfunction and death, crashing down on our most challenged individuals, families and communities. And um, people in the know are now calling what we live in now Austerity 2.0. Austerity 1.0 um, started over a decade ago and has systematically caused pain and heartache to our communities. But there is hope. And here is one of the hopes. This is a, a quote from Don Everts. Um, who has a fantastic book, he is a Christian, um, he wrote a book called The Hopeful Community, and he says, I become increasingly convinced that significant hope is on the horizon for Christians and their neighborhoods throughout our country. It seems to me that in a day of isolation and loneliness, a simple path to relationship lies right in front of us. In a day of division, a path of unity lies right in front of us. And in a day when Christians and the church are being dismissed as irrelevant, a path of relevance lies right in front of us. And that hope is the community. It is the body of Christ that we are all part of. And so... In January, if any of you were at our um, Celebrate Craigavon event, we looked at a, a wide scape of what that hope looks like lived out through a lot of the, the um, projects that we run as a community. And I'm literally going to take two minutes just to fly through this, but I want to give you a big helicopter view of some of the stuff that's happening in our communities that many of you are part of and many of you serve in in these activities. But I want to then focus back in on community because we can't let what Compassion Ministry is doing or what the social supermarket is doing or what the food bank is doing abdicate our responsibility for what we are doing and how we are living and how we represent Jesus as a community. But here's a few slides. Okay, so we have moved from crisis to crisis in the last three years. It's just an ongoing thing. So get used to it. Try and figure out what the kingdom of God looks like coming in the midst of it, okay? Because it's not going away. But Craig Avon Area Food Bank fed 5,000 people last year. Next one. ABC Community Food Hub put 60 tons of food redistributed. Um, and actually, the figure would be 30 organizations now and 6,000 people fed through a project that we run off the back of the food bank. Freedom Foods two pantries, 300 families accessing the service, 1,400 visits. These are, this is stats from January, by the way. Uh, and then 38 children whose families saved for Christmas through this project. So we don't just help people at the point of crisis. We help them to help themselves. And that's what that looked like. There's a few pictures of the pantry. Next one. Craig Abbott the Youth for Christ help 100 young people on a weekly basis. Some of the most challenged people in our communities are supported through that project. 
Reach Mentoring is mentoring 307 um, people uh, on a weekly basis in 22 schools and 2,270 personal development interactions. And links counselling, um, 8,500 counselling sessions delivered and all these other projects too. Next one, and Aspire, working with young people to tackle educational underachievements. That's 120 young people in Craigavon, working with them and to address educational underachievement. So currently, they move people who are um, accessing free school meals from a 40% um, GCSE achievement at, at five GCSEs at C and above to 84%, just through strategic um, support. And is there another one? Oh yeah, manual compassion. Can't forget about that. But English lessons, Connect Cafe, Buggy Push, Tiny Tots, Men's Drop-In, Renew, goes on and on and on, okay? So I think that's them all, isn't it? Yeah, brilliant. Why am I telling you all, all this kind of stuff? You see, this is, is what one of the ways it looks like to deal with thousands and thousands of people. This is what it may, looks like to become salt and light in our communities, to sprinkle ourselves across so many spheres of influence in an organized way, see the kingdom come. And as much as these things are important, I want to again talk to us about how we build a living, transforming community that goes out and does this stuff all of the time. And many of you are involved in serving in those environments too. But our system suffers from a great problem. And that, and that is because so many different ways that our government and our welfare system uh, helps people become very individualistic. And so, um, sounds like I'm just doing book reviews today, but anyway, um, this is just to show you that I've actually done some reading. Okay, Hilary Cottam, who wrote a book called Radical Help, and she talks about how the welfare state was set up by a guy called Lord Beveridge. And it's a brilliant story behind it. I've talked a little bit about it before. But the one thing that she says that really struck me, is she said that after setting up the welfare system and having it seen and put into place, that Beveridge, on his third report, looked back at, at all the systems that were in place and he said, we've forgotten one thing. Forgotten something. Big problem. And he said, we've forgotten about the power of community to heal itself. We've created a service that provides help for the individual. And in doing so, we have robbed community of its greatest strength, the power for communities to support and encourage each other, the power of people within communities to fix themselves and the problems that are on their own doorstep. And so we see this even in our, in our thinking and our mindsets these days when we ask questions like, oh my goodness, you see such and such in our street seems to be really struggling. I wonder what the government are doing about that. You know, why aren't they getting help? Why aren't they getting support? And maybe they should get support, but maybe you are the support. Maybe we have abdicated our responsibility to love our community as a church and we have believed that that's not my job anymore. The reason why Beveridge was able to come along and look at all the things that were put in place, hospitals, schools, different services, a lot of that was because people who were Christians started those things in the first place. He just figured out a way of bringing it all together in one coherent um, solution. And so we need to, to, to widen our focus and we need to realize there are epidemics 
on our doorstep that the church has answers to. And one of those is loneliness. So loneliness has a massive impact on health and life expectancy and well-being. Here's just a few stats. 16 to 24 year olds are most likely to score their experience of loneliness at a high level. Loneliness increases the likelihood of mortality by 26%. Loneliness and social isolation have been linked to a 30% increase in the risk of having a stroke or coronary heart disease. Loneliness is associated with a 40% increase in the risk of dementia. Loneliness, social isolation, and living alone have all been associated with an increased risk of premature death. Right? That's absolutely shocking. In Acts chapter 2 paints this picture of a church which is a loving, inclusive community. And the Great Commission tells us to go and be that loving community in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And this is what um, this is what uh, John Stott says. We got that. We quote: If a local church is to become a gospel church, it must not only receive the gospel and pass it on, but it also must embody it in a community of mutual love. You see, evangelicalism has taught us that our job is to tell people that they need to get saved, right? That's the gospel. Kind of is, and kind of isn't. You don't just tell people how to get saved. It's a very individualistic thing and, and way of looking at things, but we invite them into a community where they're not just gonna get saved, they're gonna get transformed. Because that's a far better gospel and a far better story for us to be telling. And so we, we've challenged ourselves and our systems to create community around the activities that we run. Okay, So one of the things that, that we've realized over the last number of years as a church is it's great to give food bank help. It's great to give clothing help. It's great to give English lessons. It's great to do all those things. But what we also need to do is figure out how to create community around those environments. And so we give people food bank help, but now when they come for food bank, they come to a place where a community is happening. They come to Connect Cafe here on a Friday morning. They come to other cafe environments during the week. And what happens is that rather than us just filling a gap that um, has been created by a lack of provision from our government, that the way that we help it's just as important as the help that we give. So we give food bank help, but we welcome people into community. We welcome into family. We give them a cup of tea or coffee. We offer them prayer. They come along to the social supermarket, and the clue is in the name, social supermarket, because community gets built as people actually share a shopping experience week after week. And crazy things happen, like somebody that comes into this building for food bank at Christmas time gets invited to have a cup of tea and coffee. It just so happens that it's, it's our Christmas dinner day. They get invited to stay for Christmas dinner in Connect Cafe, and eventually they tell somebody that they were actually here for food bank in the first place. Nobody knew because they were just welcomed into community and into relationship. And then when we found that this person was isolated and alone, they got invited back to somebody's house for Christmas, over Christmas for Christmas dinner. 
because this is who we are. And at that same Christmas dinner, and this is one of the things that I really love, is that when we love people who are isolated and lonely, and we welcome them into community, they cease being takers of help and support, and they are transformed into givers because they feel safe to give back. And so we were serenaded on that Christmas um, dinner day by somebody that had written a song about Christmas. And he comes along here every single week and he said, can I sing this song to you guys about Christmas? And it was actually a really, really good song. But he wanted to give something back. And I bumped into him the other week and he was telling me the song that he's planning to sing at this Christmas dinner, a different song. And you see, the thing is, he sees himself as part of our community. He doesn't come along to this church on a Sunday, but he's part of us. He's part of who we are. And this is what happens when we build authentic community. It goes beyond us as a church providing for people's needs. It starts to look like us inviting people into community. And the people that we were once helping start to help us, start to give to us, start to contribute to us. And they do that in so many different ways. Um, and so I'm trying to think of, of the stories. That, you know the difficulty of saying somebody earlier, the problem that I have in telling you stories about what you do is I don't want to embarrass any of you, but the stories are so amazing that if I went to another church, I would tell them. You know. But what happens is that we love people in this church really, really well. We come alongside them and we share the love of Jesus and we listen to them, we find out about their passions and their hopes and their dreams. And when we create a place of safety and security, we see that people truly start to belong before they believe. And the extent to which we can live out this radical community is the extent to which we will see the kingdom of God. You can't have the kingdom without the kingdom community because the kingdom is not about individuals being saved. It's about people and whole communities being transformed. There are lots of superheroes in this church. And do you know what they do? The superheroes of this church, they love people. They journey with them. They're patient. They help them out. They find out when their birthday is and they buy them a gift or send them a card. They celebrate with them and they pray for them as they're going through tough times. They remember what their favorite chocolate bar is and buy it for them just to bless them. These are the ordinary radicals of the Christian faith. This is how we start to change a whole town, is that we start to give to those that are struggling and we create places of safety where people are known and seen. And, and over time, the takers become givers over time, the people who we felt drained us when we heard again and again and again the same story of what they'd been through and we patiently loved them, that they then eventually come and start asking us how we are. They eventually come and start bringing stuff, like bringing stuff for our pantry and saying, I'll come in here for Connect Cafe, but I want to give to that because you're helping people. Can I help too? That is amazing that that transformation happens, that those who have been helped become helpers. That only happens when you build authentic community, when there's a level of trust there that people think that they can give out and give back again. You can't incentivize that, you can't fake it, you can't deliver as a program. It takes a long, long time and it's very, very difficult. But lives are transformed. 
when lives are transformed, when you create safe community for people who've gone through a really hard time, something amazing happens, and it is this, that dreams get reawakened. The people who are downtrodden through circumstances slowly but surely start to believe again, particularly as Christians help them to come to terms with that, that the dreams that had fallen apart, that have been buried, that have been pushed aside as being too ridiculous, could possibly come true. And that's one of the reasons why I think when it talks about the Spirit descending at Pentecost, it talks about the awakening of hopes and dreams. It's a reawakening of hopes and dreams in our community is what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes, when heaven comes to earth. And we do that wherever God has placed us to stir up the dreams. So we take somebody who's been unemployed for a long period of time and lost all confidence, who, who is fearful coming to volunteer with our food hub, who through side-by-side -side conversations, putting food in the van, driving and doing deliveries, starts to think that not everybody is out to get them and not everybody is horrible start to share the hurts that they've had in the past. And then eventually as their confidence builds, they're presented with a job opportunity that they go and they take. So they stop volunteering with us. But the person that volunteered with them keeps sowing into their life, keeps encouraging them, helps them to navigate the ups and downs of this new job and this new environment. And that's a true story about some people in this church. And so the people in this church, you've loved really, really well. You've built community really, really well. And you've invited other people into our community. Lots of them don't actually believe Jesus. Yeah, they don't believe the whole thing. They maybe have some belief that, that, that there is a God, but they're journeying with us. They're actually inviting other people. They're evangelizing. And they haven't been evangelized yet. I mean, that's like just wrong, isn't it? But they experience something of the kingdom of God and something of Jesus to the point where they go and tell others, come and see, come and see. Like the woman at the well, come and see. There's something different here. And I love hearing those stories. I see them all the time. And we do that in lots of different ways. We build community in our workplace. We build community in the sports clubs that we volunteer in. Some of you do that fantastically well in fostering and adopting to carry the heart of Jesus to the most vulnerable. And this is actually what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about um, community. And he says, the exclusion of the weak and insignificant, the seemingly useless people from a Christian community may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. And the poor brother Christ is knocking at the door. Gives me goosebumps. Unless we are a community that will love and invite those that are struggling, we could miss Jesus himself. He hides himself in the faces of those who are struggling in our community. And he calls to us to go out and to find him where he is in the faces of those who need our help in the community.
But ultimately what will happen is that those people who once need help become helpers. And we need to be humble enough. We need to be welcoming enough and inclusive enough to allow that to happen. Where we aren't just the providers of help and support from on high. But we are humble enough to be served by those that we once served. And the powerful thing is to do, a, to do this lots more, to be a kingdom community, is that we don't need lots and lots more leaders. And you'll be relieved about that. And then you'll get slightly worried when I say that, that you're already equipped to do that. That there are, we don't need leaders as much as we need connectors. Okay, and a connector is someone who sees someone else, who listens to their story, who hears their heart, whose own heart is filled with compassion, who kind of thinks, I don't really know how to sort out this person's problems, but I'm going to listen to their story. I'm going to ask them out for a coffee. I'm going to build a relationship with them. I'm going to share what Jesus has done in my life with them. And that's all you need to do. And I, I could pick out people in this room, and I won't do it. But again and again and again, you're a powerful connector. You're someone that connects the heart of Jesus with those that he wants to help. And I believe that that is a massive, massive gift that is upon this church, that we can and will see our communities changed and transformed by the connectors that are here that we will be this community that we read in Acts where the believers had everything in common and gave to each other as had need. And we'll actually go, well, let's do this better for ourselves in here. But if we're going to go on mission, we've got to do it really well out there. We've got to do it wherever God has placed us during the week, but we've also got to invite more people in. But we also need to realize that there are forces and systems at work in this world that take us away from that all of the time, that lead us towards individualism, that lead us towards consumerism, that lead us towards things that will distract us where we don't have enough time and we don't have enough energy and we don't have enough money to do and to live out Acts chapter 2 because we've already invested those resources in something else. And something else that our society has said is really, really good and worthwhile. And yet when we, when we see Jesus, again, we recognize that he's the treasure buried in the field. We recognize that he is the pearl of great price. Our loves become reordered. And it's not that we can't have nice things. It's not that we can't have good stuff. But our love becomes reordered. And when our loves become reordered, we find that we've got more love to give. In fact, we find that... The, the love that we have is spilling up, it's bubbling over, it's pouring out of us to those that Jesus would have us love. And the pursuit of the common good, the pursuit of the kingdom come in every single environment in our communities is what we're about. Because if we don't do it, Satan will. Every time we look at the, the mess and the brokenness in our society, it's a kingdom, but it's his kingdom. It's Satan's kingdom. And so we look at that and we say, that is not good enough. We need to do something about that. We need to figure out what the kingdom of God looks like in that situation and make that happen. 
even if those people, wait for it, even if those people don't end up becoming Christians, right? Because they are made in the image of God and everyone is worth rescue. Everyone is worth us investing our time in with. Everyone is, is worth us loving and caring for because Jesus is hidden in their faces. So our time is up, but I would love us to stand um, together, I stand. And let's just think about a question, and that question is, what does it look like in this season of your life for you to be a community connector, for you to be and to carry the heart and passion of Jesus wherever God has placed you to whomever God has placed you? And in your everyday situation, every, in your everyday life, what does it look like for you to bring the kingdom and to love people really well? And um, I would love to just name so many people in this room who already do this fantastically well, but, but I won't. Um, but you know who you are. And so let's invite the Holy Spirit to do this more in us, that our hearts would be filled again with his love and that that love empowered by the Spirit, would create an imagination for lives changed and transformed, that we would be the ones who help to awaken the dreams of those who've been downtrodden by society so much that they're living in survival mode, and that we would say, this is not good enough, that the kingdom of God has something to say for the brokenness that we see around us. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the wonderful expressions of the kingdom in this room. I thank you for those who seek to love well. And I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, you would come and just bring a revelation of the Father's pleasure upon those whose desire is to love well, whose heart is open that you would receive more love and more of the presence of God right now. That where you feel empty from giving out and giving out, that you would find restoration now. That you would experience more of God's love, his peace and presence. That we would be like that woman at the well who was just overcome with joy after her encounter with Jesus. That an entire village came to faith. And they saw in her something that was different. And so maybe be carriers of your presence, that the, the, the spirit of the living God would actually just start to pour out from us, that people wouldn't get us on our best day, but they would get you, Jesus. And that we would awaken again through our love and compassion of others, the dreams that have been buried for so long. That we would stir up again from those that have decided just to settle for survival, something more that they would know that they are called to be part of a family, that there's a vision and a future and a hope for them and a destiny in Jesus and a destiny in community as well. And God, challenge us where we have given our love to other things. We have given our love to maybe material things, but also where we have given our, our heart to fear because We've been told 
that we don't have enough. And for those that maybe don't have enough, that are living in survival mode, Lord, we pray that you would come, that God, that you're the God of breakthrough, that you would break through in their lives. But Lord, teach us to make sure that we live in a community where there is no need amongst us, where everyone is provided for because we love each other to the point of actually helping um, with practical needs too. So come Holy Spirit, pour out into our hearts and minds this morning, unlock again a vision for a community that will transform this whole area with the good news of the kingdom of God. Amen.